Okay, Power Rangers, let's do it! Go, go, Power Rangers! <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to the Super Sentai Brothers. This is episode 37 of Live and Let Die Ranger, the internet's best and only podcast dedicated to go say Sentai Die Ranger. Every week we watch an episode of the show and we share our thoughts with you, our listeners. My name is Matt J. With me as always is my co-host and brother Dave. Dave, how are you doing today? Matt, I am doing really well. Thank, thanks for asking. Oh, it's my pleasure. It's also the script. Uh, <laughs> uh, today we don't, are watching. Don't tell him there's a script, man. Oh, Dave, I, I, you're pulling back. I, I, you're pulling Dave, back the I have curtain told too much. There was a script, I think, like 20 episodes ago. It's just a periodic oh, reminder. Okay. At this point, <laughs> there is no curtain left. Uh, anyway, today we are watching episode 37. It is titled "You Have to See It." A huge guy. But before we get into that, Dave, shining in the heavens, there are five stars. What is our first star of the week? Okay, Matt. Our first star of the week, this is a little bit of a departure from our, for us, because this star was actually a star last week, but I hadn't seen Mad Max yet. Oh, boy. And I, now I have seen it, and we're making it a star again. That's how good this movie is. Matt, I don't think I'm going too far when I say that Mad Max Fury Road is maybe is the greatest action movie ever made. I'm like I'm fairly confident saying that. It's certainly the best one that I have seen in a very long time. Okay. Well, you may ask why I am confident in in saying that. Dave, why are you confident in saying that? Well, Matt, interesting you should ask. So on our way home, okay, so first of all, this past Saturday, uh, my wife Beth and I, we were like, you know what? We really want to go to the movies. We haven't been to the movies in a little bit. There's a couple things we want to see. You know what? Let's just do a double feature. Like, we will just go and we'll just buy tickets for two movies and we'll leave ourselves like a break in between to get dinner. And, uh, you know, and so we'll just see two movies in Rome. So the first movie we saw was Tomorrowland, which was really fun. Like, genuinely a fun movie. It ties in a lot with Mage, which is our favorite RPG, which which we mentioned last week. I don't know how good it would be if you didn't play Mage, if that makes sense. Like, a totally unintentional, I think, on the part of the, the writers of the movie. It just kind of so happens that that it fits really well. You know what I mean? Yeah, I know exactly what you mean. It just happens to be along those same themes. Yeah, it's a lot of themes of like discovery and imagination, all these things. So it's it was a fun movie. I, I do recommend it, but not unless you, but only if you've already seen Mad Max. So we went and saw. We had dinner, and we went and saw Mad Max, and then we were leaving Mad Max, and I was just like, Beth, for the life of me, like I know we saw another movie today. Like literally, it finished an hour and a half before Mad Max started, and I can't remember what it was. Like Mad Max, <laughs> like Mad Max has just obliterated the knowledge of all other movies. Yeah, I mean, I remembered eventually, but like it just it eclipsed it in such a complete way. I couldn't remember the title of the movie, and it it, it took Beth a minute too. She's like, "What did we see? Like what what did, what movie was that?" Yeah, it was like a hazy dream. Okay, 
Oh, so anyway, so what we did is on the home, we were like, is that the greatest action movie ever made? Quite possibly. Let's look up like some lists, you know, so what are some like top 10 lists that other people have written or like, you know, fan polls have put together top 10, top 50 greatest action movies ever made, right? And we went through now some of the some of the entries in those lists I sort of discounted as being either spy thrillers rather than like an action movie or like a kung fu a kung fu movie rather than like a pure action movie. You I know think what I those mean? are legitimate uh, sort of subgenres that you can okay. separate out. Yeah. See, I-, I thought so as well, but I'm glad to hear you back me up on that. But you know, action movies were talking just like kind of off the top of my head. Uh, you know, like anything with Jason Statham in it, any of the Furious, Fast and Furious movies, anything kind of in that genre. Not specifically kung fu, not necessarily a spy movie, but like just pure action start to finish. And so we went through the list, and every movie we were like, is Mad Max Fury Road better than that movie? And the answer just was always yes. It was always yes. And sometimes it was like kind of tough. Like Mad Max, Die Hard. Die Hard is a great movie. Great, Die best Hard is a movie great in the world. movie. Die Hard is a great movie. Is it as good as Mad Max Fury Road? I think the answer is no. Ooh. Dude, I don't know. That's, don't that's know. a real apples and oranges sort of thing because... Like, I don't know. There's a lot to, like, the sort of charm and the character of John McClane that, like, that aspect of the movie just sort of doesn't exist in Mad Max. Just, like, the nature of it doesn't allow for a character like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, listen, I hear you. I hear what you're saying. Am I definitively saying that Mad Max Fury Road is the single greatest action movie ever made? I don't know if I'm quite willing to say that. It's definitely top five. Oh, yeah. I would say that no problem. Yeah. Like, no problem. Like, even kind of accounting for taste, provided you're a sort of person who likes action movies, I would say Mad Max is, is probably top five. I don't want to rant about it forever, but I'm going, to say one, I'm going to say one more thing about Mad Max. Go for it. Okay. This, I think, is why it is such a great... It's a great movie, first of all in addition to just being a great action movie, because the action is fantastic. But nothing in the movie is superfluous, and everything makes internal sense. Do you follow what I'm saying? No, I know like, exactly what you mean. That is, like, it is a, it's a big movie, and a lot of stuff happens, but for all that, it still manages to be like super lean. There's nothing right. really it's that you can cut out movie. of that movie. Yeah, and there's no aspect of it where you're like, why, not even like, like, why is that guy dressed like that? Why did that guy say that thing? What's up with that dude's look or this particular thing that happened? It all made sense. And I think that's the real genius is that it see on its surface, it seems like kind of a goofy action movie, but it is made by George Miller. And uh, I don't know if we talked about this last week, Matt, but like George Miller is actually a very a highly educated dude. Yeah, he was uh, he was a doctor actually. He I don't know if you know this. He funded the first Mad Max movie by like he and his buddy just took like road calls, like roadside private ambulance calls for like a year and squirreled all the money away so that he can make Mad Max. No kidding. No, I didn't know that. I just knew that he was. You know, he was a smart, educated dude that, like, really knew film. 
That's super awesome. Also um, directed uh, Babe 2, Pig in the City. Which, as I understand it, is a lot better than it sounds like it would be just based on the title. I'm willing to believe that. But anyways, here's the thing. is Like I said, on the surface, Mad Max very much seems like a kind of mindless action movie. But once you start watching it, you realize that it is put together by a dude who has spent a lot, a lot of time thinking about movies and stories and kind of how they're put together. And then on top of that, thinking about the sort of Mad Max mythos and like the world in which Mad Max exists. You know what I mean? Like it's very, Mm -hmm. it's very obvious that he has had like the last 15, no, 20, 20 years, 30, 30. No, since the last Thunderdome came out, Thunderdome came out in 85. Did it seriously? Wow. Okay. So 30 years to be thinking about how this movie would come together. And I think it shows. It's just, guys, it's killer. Oh, and we saw it in D-Box seats. I don't know if that's a thing that all theaters have. I don't think it is. But D-Box seats, Matt, it was like 20 bucks a ticket. I wouldn't recommend it for every movie, but for Mad Max, I would. The D-Box seats, you know in those old arcade games where uh, it was like $2 a play, but it was like a jet fighter and the seat itself would like move around and like twist and like rumble and stuff depending oh, yeah, on what I know was the ones. happening in the game? D-Box seats do that, but timed with the movie. Okay, so it's like putting it's a rumble pack in your seat. Yeah, basically. I'm actually thinking we might actually go see Mad Max again this weekend and get the D-Box seats again. If we do, I'll let you know. You should make the trip out. Yeah, it's please worth, do. It's worth the bucks. Okay, that's 10 minutes on Just Mad Max for the second time in a row. Let's move on. Matt, what is our second star of the week? Dave, the second star of the week is a double feature of my own that I did last week. Um, I had just finished helping a friend move. Um, he didn't move far. It was like a mile. It was actually really easy, you know, pack up some couches and haul them across town yeah, to the yeah, job. But as soon as we finished with that, I got a call from a friend of mine, a friend of yours as well, actually, um, Sarah, who was Sarah going to be H. Yes, uh, who's going to be hi- in town. who was going to be hanging out with um, two other old friends of ours who I had not seen in, I don't know, almost ten years. Uh, Liz and Phil, and they were all out at this bar called the 16-Bit, which, if I haven't mentioned it on the show before, it's like a barcade uh, in the oh, area. Oh, right on. Yeah, it's yeah, great. Yeah. All the uh, video games are set to free play. You can just sit there and play Burger Time while you want. Uh, oh, they've got right. sort of like Burger Time up through, like, you know, Street Fighter Five or whatever. Um, great time. So, we're there. You know, we played through the Simpsons game. Uh... Because that Simpsons arcade game is tremendous. That is definitely a game that holds up. No kidding. Um, a lot more than the X-Men game, oh, as wow. it turns out. No kidding. I see, I have the X-Men played, game is amazing. Games are probably 10 years. The Simpsons game, longer than that. Uh, the X, those are all like the Simpsons game, the X-Men game, and there's a Ninja Turtles game of about the same vintage. And they're mm-hmm. all really yeah, good. Although what I have discovered is that playing them with like infinite credits is less fun. Oh, because like just those sort of games like... are just sort of all about trying to survive how crazily difficult they are. And so uh, if, you, uh, if okay. there's no if you're not working to try to maintain right, there's your precious, no... precious quarters, then you're just yeah. sitting there hitting the button for half an hour until the game's over. Which is still fun, but it does nah. definitely lose something. 
Uh, so we did that, and I was there for a while. And then I actually had to go meet up with the people I'd helped move earlier because uh, we were going out for dinner. And then while I was at dinner, I got a call from the group I was at 16-bit with. And they said, oh, we have since moved on to um, <laughs> the side quest, which is a different sort of nerd bar uh, just sort of down the street from it, where the first one is an arcade. The second one is like a board game bar, where basically what it is is they've got a full bar. like It's a bar setup. But on uh-huh. one wall of the inside, it's just this big shelf covered in board and card and dice games. Oh, man. You know, dude, I think you've told me about that. I've never actually – I haven't gotten out there yet, but it sounds super cool. It's really fun. It's a great setup. You know, you give them a buck to rent the game, and then you can just sort of hang out. You know, they're making the money on the drinks. They're getting right. just enough cash to make sure that they can buy a new copy of Munchkin if somebody spills their beer all over it. Right. Um, so, yeah, it was great. It was like this great sort of uh, Cleveland Lakewood nerd bar double feature. Uh, and that is our second star of the week. Dave, what is our third? Okay, Matt, uh, our third star of the week is that we are officially old. O- okay. So, I'm, I'm still trying to come to grips with that. I don't need to. I don't need you to throw that at me that quickly all the time. Okay. But, uh, please go ahead. Let me... I, okay, I'm not going to lie. Threw that out there for uh, maximum shock value, but wow. Dude, sorry. I just looked out my window, and it is raining gangbusters. I wonder if this is kind of the tip of something that came up from Texas. Anyway, sorry. Uh, so I was in class the other week, Matt. Okay. And a student came to class, and she was this – I'm I, – I, I promise you, Matt, I promise you, you have to believe me that I am not lying about this. She comes okay. into class and she is wearing uh, like high-waisted acid wash jeans, a like okay. a kind of like high like high cropped, I'm not really sure how to say it, but like kind of like a half shirt, but it was like a knit sleeveless shirt. That was also that had like a turtleneck. All right. Oh. Okay. And and some like black, some like slim black boots. All right. Like straight. Yeah. And uh, sorry if you're now, not old enough to know this. Now, where had she found these clothes? I th- just a store. She. This wasn't like a vintage thing for her, Matt. She was just, these are just clothes that are being sold now in trendy stores. Sorry, if you're not old enough to recognize the look that I just described, it is pure 1990, what, Matt, 394, somewhere in there? Um, I was going to go sort of like five or six. Yeah, that's actually sort of probably. like early yeah. Britney Spears era. Yeah. Like, maybe immediately prior to Britney Spears. But, like, 1990, let's say 94 to 96. So, about 20 years ago. And she was just, like, and I told her, I was like, I mean, I used her name, but I'm not going to use her. But I was like, kid, you, like, I was like, if you were wearing, like, dark maroon lipstick, you would just be a time traveler. Like you would, you could step into a time machine and go back to 1995, and you would be fine. And she was like, "Oh no, wait! I have that on me." 
And she did. She just had like dark maroon lipstick and she put that on. I was like, well, you're just from 1995 now. Yep. There you go. Yeah. So high schoolers. So basically high schoolers now are wearing what they would have been wearing when they were our age. You see what I'm saying? I see it. I'm not comfortable with it, but I see it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like the looks that were in when we were teenagers are now looks again for teenagers. And not like ironic teenagers, Matt. Just like fashionable teenagers are are wearing that. So we're old. We're old now. So happy Tuesday. (laughs) 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 But it's true. It's true. Okay. Uh, I could talk about this. Did I tell you about the Blossom cosplayer? Um, I, I know you did. I don't remember if it came up on the show. Okay, really, it's, that's it. Really briefly, basically a different girl. I, she wasn't in my class. Um, I just saw her in the hallway, and she was dressed like Blossom. But not like she was, she meant to dress like Blossom. She was just dressed like Blossom, and that was just her outfit for the day. Oh, you, you know, we Blossom, did talk about like this Blossom before because show, I yeah. remember doing a bad Joey Lawrence impression. Oh, yeah, I do remember that. But anyways, it's still true, and it weirds me out. Matt, that's our third star. What is our fourth star of the week? Dave, our fourth star of the week is, uh, as we have brought up a number of times throughout the course of this show, um, we are in Cleveland. Yes, we are. And right now, the Cleveland Cavaliers are doing very well. Yeah, it's really exciting. I haven't watched a game. I'm not going to lie. But it is really um, I've, exciting. I've seen the odd game here and there, but uh, I, I haven't like not watched it. I just kind of haven't watched it. No, I get you, man. It's just you know you've had a lot of stuff going on. It's not on your I radar. A lot of stuff going on. But yeah, it's super exciting. Like I'm really jazzed about it. Now the, the weird thing about this, if you are not from the city, um, this city rather, I'm sure you're from a city. Um, then what you may not know is that like. Not only have the Cavs not won recently, I mean, like, won the, you know, the whole kit and caboodle. Yeah. I'm not going to lie. I don't know what that, like, winning the finals of the basketball tournament uh, is actually called. uh, Because it's never come up in the entire history of the city of Cleveland. Right. Yeah. It's not just that they have not won in recent memory. They've just never won. Yeah, like, like the ever. Indians haven't won the World Series since 1948, but they won the World Series, gosh yeah, darn like it. Yeah, like it did happen at one point. And the Browns, well, the Browns never won the Super Bowl because the last time they won a national championship was like the year before the Super Bowl existed. And yeah. that was the last time that any city in Cleveland won a national championship. Any and, team in Cleveland, but yes. Yeah, you know so what the Cavs I mean. are doing super well. Uh, I'm really jazzed about it, man. I think it's super fun and cool. I'm not... Like I'm not a sports guy. Sure. Like I don't I don't follow a lot of sports. Not cuz it's not cool and fun. It's totally cool and fun. I you know what it is, man, is that we you and I, I mean, I'm telling you as though you don't already know this. But you know what it is is we didn't grow up watching it. Right. And so like by the time I got to a place in my life cuz I'm not going to lie, Matt. I did the nerd thing. I did the nerd thing for a long time where it was like, sports? What am I? Some kind of jerk that plays sports? What? Um, you you, you want to go watch a game with a sports ball, Dave? Right. Yeah, I was that guy. Oh, I'm dude, I was totally lie. that guy. I totally yeah. had that weird, toxic nerd brain that just decides to hate everything with a, that doesn't have a lightsaber. Yeah. Uh, I was that guy. I'm going to comp to that. But as, I, as I've as i grown older and I feel matured, 
I wish I liked sports. It's just not my thing. If it's your thing, that's awesome. I'm glad you dig it. But kind of by the time I, I thought that it might be interesting to get into, it was just too much. Like, there's too, <laughs> like right. it just that ship had too much sailed. brain and space. And frankly, you know, I, uh, I don't dislike anything that doesn't have a lightsaber, but I've already got a lot of lightsaber taken up my brain space, and I yeah. don't have space for basketball <laughs> stats. But I'll tell yeah, you, man, I was got... at a party the other day. It was like a pre-Memorial Day cookout, and we were watching the game. Okay. It was great. Anyway, that's pretty much it. I'm just sort of that's, excited yeah, that A team in Cleveland is doing well. I mean, you know, come back in a couple of weeks, and what will probably will happen is that uh, the whole thing will have fallen apart in the last game, and you know, the whole city will be in not tears because we all kind of expected it, but uh, not having a nice day. Oh yeah, but that's for almost, the moment, just it's almost nice guaranteed. To sort of bask in the sun. Yeah, go Cavs. All right. Anyway, so that's our fourth star, Dave. What is our fifth star of the week? Okay. I'll try and keep it brief, Matt. Fifth star of the week, Daredevil. I know we've spoken about it briefly, but I finished it. You finished it. I feel like, listeners, if you're going to have finished it, maybe you finished it by now. Otherwise, this is the last star of the week. Just jump forward just to the break, yeah, and uh, we'll be back with you to watch episode 37. You've got to see it. A huge guy. Okay, so Daredevil, Matt. The show is great. Loved the show loved what they continued to do with Kingpin because like all of these other things in the Marvel universe, it's close enough to what I already know that it's recognizable and fun, Uh but it's also a new take on the character and the daredevil, the Kingpin rather of the TV show that he's sort of weird and socially awkward and, you know, very nervous in his way in interacting with people on a personal level, I think just just adds a whole layer of really fantastic nuance to the character of the Kingpin. I mean, they made him they made him such a sympathetic villain that by the time of the final showdown, which you know we all knew was coming, but by the time of the final showdown between Kingpin and Daredevil. I almost didn't know who I was really rooting for. Did you have that experience? You know, I didn't have that experience, and I'll tell you why. It's um, Kingpin, despite the fact that, like, I felt bad for his, like, you know, painfully underdeveloped, like, social awkwardness, like, intense insecurity that drove him to sort of be, you know, a murderous psycho, um... The fact remains is, like, the show was very clear about the fact that, like, he was a bad guy. And even oh, though yeah. he had sort of, like, couched his badness in a desire to, like, you know, help the city, quote-unquote, uh, you know, however much of that is for them and how much of it was for him, was sort of ambiguous. But, like, at no point in the show, even though I felt bad for him, did I ever sympathize with him, necessarily. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, no, I hear you. I hear you. I so just I was, I was pleased to see him get his comeuppance at the end. Oh, yeah. I mean, ultimately, Daredevil is the good guy. You know what I mean? Kingpin comes to the realization he is a bad guy. But, man, he's so... You know what? Maybe sympathetic. He's such a pitiable character. I think that's the word for it, yeah. He's pitiful. You know, he really is. And I was just like, as he's losing this fight and... Sorry, I, I reckon, long story short, they changed the character of the Kingpin 
that as a child, he's heavily, he's abused by his dad, not like sexually, but like sort of violently. And he internalizes that until that's kind of the only way that he knows how to interact with people. He's very socially awkward and unsure of himself. Uh, By the end of the series, he, or the end of this first season of the series, he is sort of come to terms with the fact that he is the bad guy and that is kind of who he is. But he does it in a way that's so, and really D'Onofrio did a fantastic performance, and he does, but he does it in such a way that's so human and so pitiable that he takes the kingpin, who is really the sort of larger-than-life comic book villain, and really makes him a nuanced character. And I thought it was just, it was a great ending to the show and a great performance. Also, Madame Gao, Steel Serpent, you know, pouncing off to wherever, one of the mystical cities. It's going to be fantastic. I can't wait for Iron Fist. Oh, which yeah. Is another comic yeah, book it show definitely took me series. longer than it ought to have to notice that that yeah, was setting way, up Iron Fist. Way, way longer. I was actually, I was a little embarrassed when I finally figured it out that it took me as long as it did. But, Matt, uh, that's it. We should probably cut this short as much as I would love to keep talking about Daredevil. Absolutely. So Because we've got some Go Say Sentai Die Ranger to watch. We absolutely do. We're going to take a quick break. We're going to watch episode 37. You have to see it. A huge guy. There's a lot. Of, there were there, there are U's. There are multiple there. U's. Yeah. Um, yes. Uh, okay. Anyway. <laughs> uh, we're going to take the break. We'll be right back. Okay, welcome back. So, we have just finished watching episode 37, and friends, this is a doozy. Um, <laughs> you, yeah, you are not kidding. Dave, why don't you hit us with a, uh, a quick overview, and then we'll hop into the, uh, the meat of it. Sure. So, in this episode, we see the return of Akamaru. We see Ko struggling against his half-goman nature, and we see the introduction of a new player into the game, Matt. Oh, and what a player it is. A new giant robot. Okay, and let's just get right into it, because we see him, like, right in the first scene. Right. So we open up, and it is Kamio, Kazu, and Ko, our three out of four Ks, and uh, Kamio is looking through a telescope. He's looking at the moon, and he's like, oh, this is super cool. And Ko's like, wow, I didn't really know that, you know, I didn't know that this was a thing for you, Cameo. And Cameo's like, no, dude, the moon is romantic. It's romantic, man. He also says that space is really nice, which I think was a a, a very pleasant way to talk yeah. about space. Yeah, uh, nice, I don't know, is the word that I would use. Maybe fascinating and terrifying, much like the ocean. But as Cameo is kind of looking up at the moon through his telescope, he sees something fly across it. And a what giant he sees, silhouette. Yeah, giant silhouette. And it looks, it, it basically, it looks like Ruseo. In his what dragon like. form. In yeah. His, yeah, in his dragon form, it looks like it's flying across the moon, but large. And Cameo kind of freaks out. He's like, whoa, what's going on? This is crazy. No, it couldn't be, like it couldn't be him or something like that. The gem flashes. Cameo turns into a turtle. Now, Dave, uh, real quick. When you say the gem flashes. Oh, um, sorry. His Tempo Rai Rai jewel. 
Yes. That he just has like in his apartment. And I think he's got a new apartment. I'm not sure about that. But anyways. I, I think it's the same place we've seen before. His Tenpo Rai Rai jewel kind of shines and flashes. It shoots kind of energy at him that we've seen it do before. And he turns into a turtle, like a little baby turtle. Why? Who knows? Well, for, from what I can tell, it seems like that's the sort of thing that happens in times of great distress. Like, because his natural state is not being, like, Cameo the Human, it's being uh, a turtle. okay. And no, so, like, when he is needed to, like, fulfill his turtley duties, uh, like, he... the gem sort of forcibly transforms him. Got so it. as we're no, watching this go down for in me. Cameo's apartment, we keep cutting back and forth, like, from there back up to space, where we're seeing, like, close-ups of this new giant robot dragon. Yeah. And there's this one bit where you see it flying towards Earth, and the camera is sort of underneath it as it flies above. Yeah, and very much the, a Star Wars, uh, yeah, it's, you know, it's Star It's that Destroyer. shot from Star Wars, from the beginning of Star Wars, where the camera is underneath the Super Star Destroyer as it's flying above. Right. It is that exact shot. <laughs> yeah, it really is. And so... Cameo, he the Tempo Rai Rai Jewel flashes again. Cameo turns back into a person, and he like dives under some blankets or something, and, and he starts, starts yeah freaking out. It just starts babbling about the fact that the Great King of Terror is coming to Earth. <laughs> Guys, I'm gonna say that again. The Great King of Terror is on his way back to Earth, and then the scene cuts. That's it. That's all we get. So we cut to uh, Kazu talking with Ryu. They're just sort of yeah. like taking a stroll down by a fountain. Right. And Kazu is telling Ryu, like, hey, you know, something happened. Cameo's freaked out. He was talking about some sort of great king of terror. I don't know what it was, but he seemed very concerned. And as they're having this conversation, they get a frantic call over the wrist communicators from Rin. They who is do. shouting something about Ko. Matt, I'm going to jump back just a second here. So Ryu and Kazu, you're right. They don't know what's going on. You know who else doesn't know what's going on, according to Ryu? Nostradamus. Oh, yeah, he did drop that in there. Yeah, Ryu's talking to Kazu, and Kazu's like, yeah, Cameo was saying something about the Great King of Terror. I'm not really sure. And Ryu says, just out of nowhere, he's like, well, it's sure not in the prophecies of Nostradamus, that's for sure. And I thought maybe it was like, oh, maybe that was like a translation thing. And they just substituted in Nostradamus for like some other famous, you know, like they used a famous European soothsayer for the subtitle. Nope. Listen to it again. He definitely says Nostradamus. Why? Who knows? And Kazu just accepts this. Right, yeah, Kazu doesn't question it at all. He's just like, oh, okay, whatever. But then, yes, Matt, there is a frantic call from Rin saying that something is going on with Ko. She doesn't know what. She just says, you guys got to get over here. And so they run over. We see Ryu and Kazu run up. Rin is standing outside of the door to her her apartment where she lives with Ko. Right. And uh, she's like, guys, Ko is inside, but it's terrible. Like, something really bad is happening. Uh, And and since she is sort of uh, either incapable or uh, sort of too freaked out to say what is happening, 
Ryu opens the door and starts to walk in, but what is going on in there is so crazy that I think it blows him back out the door. Yeah, it says something. Like, they eventually get in there and we can see what it is, but that initial foray into the room does not go well. All we see is, like, flashing, pulsing light slash energy, I guess, coming from inside the door as soon as Ryu opens up. So yeah, and Ko is sort of in this, like, energy bubble. Yeah. Like, as though he's lying down on a bed, but he's floating a few feet off the ground. Yeah, he's And there's, like, sort of yellow classic... lightning sort of flying everywhere. You know what it is? It's uh, Ghostbusters. Yeah, it's the classic being held she's, up like, floating by some above the bed. energy that, force thing. Yeah, you all know exactly what it looks like. But there is, like, a bubble of energy around him, and then there's, like, lightning shooting out of the bubble. And the tiger brand that's on his arm that his mom burned into him when he was 10 years old to ward off the evil effects of his Goma parentage, that is glowing bright blue. Yeah, and it has, like, migrated? Like, it moves around on his body or something? I'm not totally sure. I think sure. that might just be a bad effect. I don't think it's actually Oh, right. okay. It, it definitely looked that way. You know, I just thought of something, Matt. Sure. Isn't... I mean, Ryu is also half Goma. Isn't he? No, no, because he's remember, That's right. his dad filled mask. the Goma, but That's he is right. naturally of the Dai tribe. That's right. That's right. My bad. Okay, that's fine then. I was about to say, like, why didn't Ryu have this problem? But I got you. I got you. So we skip away. We're done with Ko, and we jump to Shoji and Daigo, and they are at a pachinko parlor. And pachinko, if you're not familiar, is sort of like Japanese, like it's like a Japanese slot machine. Kind of, yeah, sort of. The, if you don't happen to know what it is off the top of your head, that is a close enough approximation to get yeah. through the rest of this episode. You know, it's like uh, it's like a it's a mashup. It's like the love child between pinball and slots, kind of. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah. So, but it's a gambling thing. Like you're definitely, it's definitely a gambling game. I guess I don't know. And so Shoji and Daigo are at a pachinko parlor. And Taika's just like, Shoji, you need to stop. You have lost. You're not going to win. You've like lost all of your money. He is trying to be a responsible friend, like intervening to make sure that Shoji does not ruin himself on the pachinko machine. Right. I don't know where Shoji's getting this money. I think we've pretty clearly established that Shoji never has any cash. Maybe it's because he loves the pachinko machines. But Shoji, his response is like, no, I can't stop playing now. I've already lost all of my money. Like, the only way that I could get it back is to keep playing pachinko. Which is, like, super... I think it's supposed to be a joke, but it is also, like, super, super classic gambling addict talk. Yeah, it's... Like, no, I say, can't It was now. meant as a joke. It gets a little dark for a second there. Right. And so Shoji's like, no, I can't leave. And then, predictably, he loses his last game, his money is all gone, and, you know, he has to bum five bucks off of Ryu next time they want to go out to eat somewhere. Or he has to wait until a bank robber is driving by, throwing money out off of a bridge so he can pick it up and stuff it in his mouth. I I forgot about that. That's right. Man, Shoji. Shoji. I love you, but... Okay. So... So as they're sitting there, and Shoji's just lost the last of his money, um, we look over and we see someone who is clearly 100% a Goma dude. Yeah, like, without question. Like, at this point, at this point, I feel like the Rangers maybe should... 
just like should recognize a goma in human form because they have like a very distinct look. You know right, what I like mean? If you have weird glasses, a funny mustache, and a satiny like cloth, like any part of your clothing is satiny, then uh, there is a ninety nine point three percent chance that you are one hundred percent goma. Yeah, if you've got like a weird hat, that helps. But this dude shows up and is just obviously a goma. All the classic warning signs. Right. Uh, my notes just say pachinko monster, clearly. So he sits down. He's like, here's how you win at pachinko. And he wins at pachinko. The monster does. Wins at pachinko. Right. He gets the jackpot. And then he moves to, an, and Shoji freaks out because he's like, oh, all this money is back. This is great. Once again, Shoji monetarily gaining from the illicit actions of the goma. Yeah. And so then the Goma monster moves to the next machine and gets another one. And he starts yelling, like, fever, 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 which I think is kind of his, like, like gambling fever, I guess, is the idea. Yeah, I think it's meant to be, like, a pachinko fever. But yeah, uh, he that, doesn't say the whole phrase. He just starts shouting fever. Yeah, that makes sense. When and Daigo so, and Shoji at this point realize, like, this guy's a Goma because he's starting to do, like, weird magic stuff. Uh, well, they don't. The thing transforms. And then it starts really messing with them. But, like, honestly, not really badly. Yeah. All it's doing is, like, because uh, the way the pachinko works is you have, like, a bunch of little, like, uh, little sort balls. of, like, ball bearings. Yeah. Um, and so he's just, like, throwing those all over the place and people are sliding around and falling over. But, like, he's not doing anything that bad. Yeah. So, really, the only people that are getting harmed by this is probably the pachinko parlor. Right, because basically what he's, it's the equivalent of just throwing poker chips on the ground. Like, yeah, someone's like going to make a lot of money of off of this. And so, but it's not like a ton of money. And so, Di- but this is the point where Daigo's like, what? He's a Goma. And just like, Daigo, how are you, how are you possibly surprised by this? This is like, episode again. 37, buddy. Like, get with it. Get with the program. So, he turns into a pachinko monster. You know, he's just like a living pachinko machine. And Daigo and Kazu, or no, I'm sorry, no, Daigo and Shoji, rather, they tension, and so they start fighting. And he is doing, he's like launching exploding pachinko balls at them, and then he launches maybe the greatest special attack any Goma's ever had? Is that fair to say, Matt? Um, It's a good one. It's certainly top five. Top five. Top five. It's like the Mad Max of pachinko attacks, or Mad Max of Goma attacks, rather. Oh, what no, you... it's definitely the, the top 100% uh, best pachinko attack I've ever seen. Oh, yeah, 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 definitely. So what he does is he, like, launches some sort of bolt at them, and he turns the rangers into a giant pachinko ball, which is basically like a silver-painted yoga ball with, like, a drawing of both Shoji and uh, Daigo on the outside. And then he just starts, like, kicking this pachinko ball around, and eventually he punches it, and it explodes, and then they fall out of the ball. Maybe I'm not selling it, but it's great. Oh, no, it's wonderful. And when he kicks it, he shouts pachinko kick as though that were a thing. (laughs) It wasn't just, like, him kicking it. Uh, It's great. So There's no special pachinko kick. Like, the pachinko ball, the giant human pachinko ball falls... They, like, you know, it glows and it falls apart, and the two of them fall out of that transformed form. And the Pachinko monster is like, oh, what is that? I wrote this down. I don't want to f- fight people who are bad at Pachinko. And then he just leaves. Yeah. And I don't. 
Like, is Pachinko Le- something that you can... he's got other priorities. Be bad at? Can you be bad at Pachinko? I think so, because like you were saying, it's partially, uh, like, pinball-esque. I, I guess. Like, it's not entirely randomized. It's not just, like, playing the slots. Okay. Yeah, right on. I think... Okay. I could be 100% wrong about that, but that is what I've chosen to uh, chosen to believe. I am trying to kind of quickly read as we're talking about this. Uh, it looks like... Yeah, there is, like, some level of skill involved. So you can theoretically be good or bad at Pachinko. But yeah, this dude ditches. He clearly has other priorities. And Surprise. the great thing is, he was winning. Like, he could have just beaten two of the Die Rangers. Oh yeah, but it was because of was their doing poor really good skills job. at Pachinko, has decided that they are beneath him, and he needs to get back to the parlor. Yeah, I mean, again, surprise, surprise, this dude's priority is playing more Pachinko. Like, that's his deal. So, now we jump back to Rin's apartment. Everybody's there now. Kaku's looking in. Kaku says, dude, this is, this is not good. This is a problem. And we hear from inside the room, like, it's actually worse than you think. And it's um, Byako, the sword. Yeah. And he's saying, listen, here's the deal. Like, I am connected with Ko, so I can sense this. It's not just his Goma blood reacting. Yeah, the like, Goma it's... are sending Yoriyoku into Ko to sort of act, like, push the change to go faster. Right. They're kind of, like, messing. What he says is I think they're messing with his dreams, and they are influencing him mentally. And it's <laughs> a great moment because the rest of the Rangers are like, Oh, yeah. As though they had just kind of forgotten that this was a thing, that Ko was slowly turning into a coma, and that things would, like, reach ahead at his 10th birthday, uh, because they have not been focusing on it at all. No, I mean, the actor who plays Ko has barely been in the show for the last couple of episodes. Yeah, he's, like, jumped in, like, once or twice right at the end to fight. But, but it's mostly been in him. the suit, so we haven't yeah. actually seen, like, the kid in a while. But so yeah. Biako says, like, okay... I'm going to, like, enter his dreams to try to fix this. Right. So he kind of hovers up and shoots, like, a shiny eye beam into Ko's face. And then everything kind of fades away. And we see that Ko is in a dream. It's a misty cityscape. And he's, of course, running around calling for his mother because that's right. what Ko does. He's all Ko alone. calls for his mom about as often as Daigo calls for Kujiku. Yeah. But so, for different reasons, I want to emphasize that. <laughs> really? Ko is a creeper? Not that much of a creeper. To be clear. So, Ko is alone, running through this sort of misty cityscape, calling for his mother. He doesn't see her, but he kind of turns around, and as he is turning around, the city sort of mist fades into a forest. So now Ko is alone in a for- like a shimmery dark forest, right? And while he's there, who arrives? But Akamaru. Now Akamaru, if you recall, was dead. Super uh, dead. Went to hell, like and crushed then was, beneath a boulder, dead. And then was fished out of hell by uh, the rulers of the Goma, the Goma the Fifteenth, right? And is now back amongst the living. 
Well, the unliving, I'm not exactly sure what his deal is, but he's back. I get the sense that he's just full on alive again. But I don't know, because he has this like weird head, forehead scar thing. I'm not sure. Maybe it's because like the Goma costume, version of the boy who lived. Seen it, his costume, as we've seen it in the past, he has like this weird headband that has a button on it right in the middle of the for, his forehead. Right. Um, and we've never seen him take it off, but he took it off this time, and he's got like this weird, like circular mark on his forehead underneath where that was. Oh, so you think maybe that predates? I, I think just that may that have predated that, but okay. it could have. Either way, we've never seen it before, and he does have this like weird mark on his forehead, right? So, so they start arguing. Biako is there, and he is trying to like talk Ko down, and like, like, no, you need to like come back with me. Like, this is a problem. Yeah, Ko not doing a great job of listening listening to Byako. He's talking to Akamaru, and Akamaru's like, are you surprised to see me alive? And Byako's like, uh, yes, yes, we're surprised to see you alive. You were dead. We saw that you were dead. You were dead. And Akamaru says, I was brought back from hell. And, I, and then he's like, not only that, I bought Rei Ryoku, which if you don't recall from the episode where they originally opened the breach into hell that's like 10 feet underground is the Ryoku, like, hell Ryoku, I guess. It's, like, super powerful. And so while he was down there, he was, like, infused with Rei Ryoku, so now he is ten times as powerful as he previously was, which right. he proves by, like, breathing fire and... He does, like, uh, an energy lasso on Ko and, like, throws him around a little bit. And then he says something that doesn't make sense. He's like, I have also obtained a clairvoyant eye. And I was, ex- like, just for, like, the half second after he said it, I was expecting it to be some, like, secret Rei Ryoku technique, and he would, like, do some sort of cool hand sign and, like, look through a, look through his hands or, you know, I don't know. But the point is I assumed it would be, like, some special Rei Ryoku technique. Nope, and it was not that at all. What nope, it it's is, just, it's like a wonder eye. He just, like, looks through, like, a telescope. It's like a, Yeah, it's a telescope that has, like, that is shaped like an eyeball on the end, and that's yeah. it. But it's his clairvoyant eye, because I guess that's a thing that you can get in hell. Sure. Yeah, they just got Why him not? sitting around. <laughs> okay. Uh, <laughs> so he looks around. Uh, Kamru does. He looks around, and he is sort of spying different areas. And he looks over, and he sees a temple. We've seen this temple before. It's the temple that Ko's mother is trapped in. And in this vision, like, with the clairvoyant eye, like, somehow, probably with because of weird dream logic, Ko yeah, sure. is able to see what Akamaru is looking at through this telescope. And so right. he goes running off towards this vision, but, like, it fades out of existence and disappears before he gets there. Right. So he can't save his mother. And Akamaru says... I know that you're a go- that you're half coma. Like I, th- I know this now because of my clairvoyant eye, and I know that on your tenth birthday you will become a goma. So I'm just gonna put you to sleep. I'm gonna make sure that you are asleep until your tenth birthday, so that you can't like get saved effectively. Like that your friends won't be able to save you. You will definitely become a goma. Like I gotcha. This is all going great for a Kamaru. Right. So it fades out of the dream. The energy cocoon disappears, and Ko just hits the ground like a sack of dirt. And Bianco says, guys, bad news. 
Yeah, you are not going to want to hear this, but Agamaru is alive again. Totally and, alive uh, again. we are in trouble. Yeah. So, that scene ends. We see evil Ryuseo, which is just or the great king of terror, evil Ryuseo. We see him, like, flying towards Earth again, I think. Is that what it is? Yeah, this is right before the commercial break. So okay. we just see a quick shot to remind you that the Great King of Terror is, is coming to Earth. Right, that this is totally coming. Jump back, Goma Pyramids. We zoom in, Goma the 15th, Akamaru playing, I think... Uh, like, they're playing Old Maid. Old Maid? Yeah, they're playing Old Maid with, like, comically oversized playing cards. I think they're actually probably the same playing cards as from the playing card monster. Uh, Duke Trump. Duke Trump. Thanks, Back from the movie, yeah. Yeah, from like way back. I'm pretty sure it's the same cards like the prop guy just had some sitting around. Again, Again are the lazy, terrible prop guy. <laughs> right, way to go, prop guy. So anyways. Oh, something really important here, though. Check this out. A Kamaru isn't wearing a mask. Right, which... You guys remember this? Yeah, in case you had forgotten, every time that the uh, members of the Goma tribe address Goma the 15th in his throne room, like, they have to wear this ceremonial mask. Right. Um, And so, like, in the scene, like, Shadam is in the room, Yeah. but he is wearing the mask, but Akamaru is playing cards with Goma the 15th, and he is not. And so, like, clearly at this point, like, Akamaru's return from hell has gotten him, like, in close with yeah, Goma there's the 15th. Something and Goma going the 15th on, actually but... says, like, I'm sorry, you know, I just had to bring him back from hell. I missed him being around too much. Right, which is sort of, you know, whatever. So, the, so you can like... tell that those two are, like, solid gold bros. Right. And this is awesome. So Akamaru is playing cards with Goma the 15th. His father, Shadam, who he hates, is there. And Akamaru starts talking to Shadam, never turns around. To talk Never to him. once. Like, he's just sitting there playing cards. He doesn't even turn his head. He's just playing cards and talking at Shotham, who is, like, standing behind him. It is a stone-cold move. Like, it very clearly is- establishes the pecking order as of right now. And uh, Shotham is not on top of it. And so what Akamaru is saying is, like, listen, Shotham, dad... Uh, just in case you have gotten this twisted, um, I do still hate you, like, a lot. Super hate you. Oh, yeah. Like, um, destroying you is still my primary motivation in my new horrifying half-life, having returned from And he even goes so far as to tell him exactly what his plan is. And he says, here's right. what my plan is. I am going to turn Ko to the Goma. Right. Because he has, like, half-Goma blood, and that's what we're doing. And then I'm going to control him and use him to kill the Die Rangers. And then once I have destroyed the Die Rangers, I will have like fully supplanted you in the court of the Goma. And then you're going to be out, and I'm going to be happy because I hate you. This is the best part. At this point, Ko almost doesn't even care. I feel like he cares about Ko, but he doesn't really care about the Die Rangers. His whole purpose in affecting this evil plan is to supplant his father. Yeah, all he wants to do is mess with Shadam. Yeah, like, that's the entire motivation. He's like, I'm going to do this. Not because I hate the Die Rangers, because I hate you. Like, I'm going to destroy them for you to demonstrate just how much better I am at this than you are. 
Uh, it's a great moment. It is. Dude, Akamaru, it's like I said back when he was originally on the show. He is a dark kid, and I really like that yeah. character. Yeah, really, <laughs> really dark. Okay, so we jump away from the Goma Pyramid, and we see the three Goma commanders in their, like, crummy warehouse base. And Shadam says, like, okay, Akamaru's back. He's the worst. And Zydos and Gara like, kind of grudgingly agree. Because he's totally the worst. But Shadam says, like, this is his plan. I've got a new and better plan. Here's what I'm going to do. The Pachinko Master has, like, crazy amounts of Yurioku. I'm going to, like, what does he say? Like, merge with him, I think? Yeah, basically, like, he was asking Zydos, like, hey, how's the Pachinko Monster doing? Because the thing that I love about the Pachinko Monster in this episode is that if you watch the episode from, like, a different perspective, then this is a Monster of the Week episode because the Pachinko Monster is just like a regular crummy Monster of the Week that, right. like, Zydos threw out there because he didn't know that all this other stuff was going to be happening. And so when they get back around to him and they ask how he's doing, Zydos just says, he's totally useless. Like, he doesn't even want to fight. All he wants right. to do is play Pachinko. <laughs> And well, like, okay, man. but he's, he got knows a, what he's, like, good he's at. very strong in the force, basically. Right. Like, he has a ton of Yurioku. So, Shadam says his plan is that he is going to, like, possess, I guess? Yeah, more or less. Like, yeah, he's going to possess the Pachinko Master, and he is going to use his Yurioku to, like, feed into Ko, and in so doing, will transform Ko into a Goma, like, ahead of schedule, I guess. And this somehow will give Shadam... Yeah, basically, what I I tell is that he is trying to swipe Akamaru's plan. He's trying to do the same thing before Akamaru can get around to finishing. Right. So, so he, he does this, and it cuts back to the Pachinko parlor. And well, like, he gets as far as possessing the Pachinko master. Well, sure. So it they cut back to the Pachinko parlor, and the Pachinko monster is just hanging out playing Pachinko, winning bunches of money, surrounded by humans who are, like, cheering him on. Yeah, they're like, wow, this guy's, like, the greatest Pachinko player we've ever seen. This is incredible. And so... You know, once he becomes uh, possessed by Shadam, he stands up and he starts blowing things up and he walks outside and he's doing all sorts of stuff. Right. The Die Rangers show up. Kind of standard Goma monster stuff. You know, the Die Rangers show up. Originally, it's just uh, Daigo and uh, Shoji. And they start fighting, but then uh, Ryu and Kazu aren't far behind. Yeah. And it's not actually, it's not much of a fight to begin with. Like, the other guys show up. It's four on one. And the Pachinko monster kind of wastes no time. He's like, you know what? I'm feeling pretty squirrely. Enlarging bomb. So he just drops the enlarging bomb kind of out of nowhere. So before the Dire Rangers have a chance to summon their Kaiden beasts, the uh, Goma commanders show up with a big squad of Kotopotoros, and they start attacking them on the ground. Right. So they don't have time to deal with the fact that now the Pachinko monster is a giant and just, like, crushing buildings. Yeah. You know, okay, Matt, a brief uh, a brief diversion here, Matt. I thought of something while I was watching this. Okay. How Lay it on is me. it? I, you know, this may exist in like a larger city than Cleveland, but how is it that there is not 
like an amusement zone, I guess, like a service where you get to dress up in like a kaiju monster suit and wreck like a pre-constructed cardboard city. Like, how is that not a thing? I I don't know, but now that you've said it, it's kind of all I want to do. Right. Would you, I Like, I would pay money to do that. If somebody was like, I don't know how much money, I, you know, probably the reason it doesn't exist is because people would not be willing to pay the amount of money that it would take. But I would pay like 50 bucks if someone was just like, yep, we set up a room like the size of, you know, like a largish bedroom with a whole bunch of cardboard buildings and you get like a monster suit and you just get to like run around and smash the buildings. Wouldn't that be great? I would totally pay money for that. That would okay. be great. I bet that probably doesn't exist because the actual act of dressing up in those monster suits is terrible. Oh, yeah. That makes a lot of sense, actually. I actually and just, like, kicking it down outside suit. of costume would not be quite as fun. Yeah. I don't know that I necessarily need the monster suit. Like, I think the monster suit would add to it. Maybe if they just gave you, like, hands, like Hulk hands, it would be enough. Just I don't punch know. over a bunch of cardboard boxes wearing Hulk hands. Yeah. I think we can make that happen for you, Dave, honestly. That no, no, man, but I like, want, like, uh, a... I want like a high proof experience, you know what I mean, man? Like I want I want a little more than that. You want the pyrotechnics. I want the you know, I want a little pyrotechnics. I want the buildings to look like buildings. I don't want to want to like knock over shoeboxes. Like I want this to be a thing, you know. Well, I'll anyway. see if maybe I can't get something for your birthday, Dave. Anyways. Anyways. So, the Pachinko Monster Master, Monster Master is wrecking the city. The rangers don't have the wherewithal to deal with it because they're getting attacked. While that's happening, the Pachinko monster takes a brief interlude from destroying the city and launches what he calls a giant Pachinko ball, which is just like a bolt of energy, out. We cut over. We see Rin sitting by the bedside of Ko. The energy bowl, like, flies in... Th- bowl? Bolt? Flies in through the window... Rin jumps back, it hits Ko. Ko immediately wakes up, sits up, and like jumps out the window or something. Yeah, like he sits up, he turns to look at Rin, sort of like expressionless, and hops out of bed and runs out onto the balcony. Oh, yeah, that's right. And I think I, I might have turned away to write something down in my notebook at this point, but at some point right around here is when he transforms into the Keeper Ranger. It happens off screen because uh, the immediate cut after he jumps onto the balcony is to see the rangers fighting the Kotopotoro and then Kiba Ranger, uh, you know, already transformed. Kiba Ranger jumps in and like jump kicks Shoji in the face. So he starts taking out uh, the Dire Rangers who are already on the scene. Rin runs down from downstairs, has transformed, I think, on the way. Tries to stop him, but does not do very well at all, and is yeah. almost immediately thrown in the like already existing heap of die rangers. Right. So Kiba Ranger has taken out the rangers. Pachinko Monster is there. It's a problem. Fight, fight, fight. There's a little bit more. Cameo arrives. But he doesn't transform into like his giant robot. He's just sort right. of running around shouting that if they don't stop fighting, then the great king of terror is going to arrive and destroy the entire earth. Right. So while this, like right after this, Ryu takes a moment to like catch his breath, summons Ryu Seo, who like Bujin Henge's takes on his warrior form. And then it's a fight between Pachinko Master and Ryu Seo. And it's actually like 
it's a pretty good fight. Like they're they're each getting some licks in. They're fighting back and forth. They're each kind of doing some special moves. But this is only prelude. This is only prelude to the real thing that's about to happen. Because what happens next is that the Great King of Terror finally arrives. Okay, so here's what we see. Pachinko Master, Ryusei are fighting. They separate for a moment. We all look up. Clouds are in the sky, like giant swirly clouds. The whole city goes dark. And then the Great King of Terror breaks atmosphere. And you can see him in the city. And so now we finally have some scale for how big he is. Because before we've just sort of seen him up in space. And right. he, he is so big that basically, like, the same scale that Ryu, like, has to Ryuseo. Um, Ryuseo like, that is the same scale from Ryuseo up to the Great King of Terror. Whose yeah, name dude. we find out is uh, Daijin Ryu. Yeah. Yeah, Dairon but we're probably going to keep saying the Great King of Terror because I mean because be it's way it's better. It's the Great King of Terror. It's a I great know. name. But yeah, dude, this thing is huge, like Jormungand are huge, like encircling the world to destroy it. Huge, like it's gigantic. And Ryu has he's like, "What's going on? This is crazy." So he summons the other Kaiden beasts that form like the sort of flying chariot, I guess. And so he is flying along, and we see that, like, even in his flying chariot, Ryuseo is dwarfed. Like, it's all of them together are not as even as large as the head of the Great King of Terror. This thing is just gigantic. Like, it's got, it, it must have, like, gravitational pull. Yeah, I mean, the thing is as big as this city, basically. Yeah, it's it's nuts. And so that's the episode. Like, at the end of this episode, I think the Pachinko monster might even still be alive. Uh, yeah, the they, didn't, they haven't even bothered arrived. killing him. Uh, Ko has been turned evil by the Goma. Akamaru is still is alive again and scheming against the other Goma commanders, who are right. also scheming. And just everything is bad. So this is... I know we say this a lot, but, like, this is one of those episodes where the action gets ratcheted up and Die Ranger gets even more real. Yeah, it's, dude, I can't wait to see. Like, this is, I'm no longer, like, making jokes about this kid's show. I am legitimately excited to see what is going on with this giant dragon robot. Oh, dude, this giant dragon robot, wait until next week because it's going to get weird. Dude, but Awesome. Yes, I think that's, that's it for the episode. Dave, what was your high point? Great King of Terror. Yeah, man. The Great King of Terror yeah. is awesome. Right. Giant dragon robot the size of the moon. Come on. And uh, what was your low point? Low point? Ah, dang, man. Uh, I'm going to say my low point is Shoji's crippling pachinko addiction. Okay. Yeah, no, that's fair. <laughs> that's probably also his low point or, you know, his rock bottom, whatever they call it. Uh, that doesn't seem like that yet, but sure. Well, how they much can't you have much further to go? Uh, how my much... high point, since you already listen, took dude. The Great King he of hasn't he hasn't pawned his aura changer for more pachinko money yet, so he's not. It's not as it could get worse. Could get worse. But sorry, Matt. What is your what is your high point for this episode? My high point, I think, is going to be the pachinko monster and just how like disinterested he is in being a monster. Like, just all he wants to do is play pachinko. Yeah, 
That like, was this is a monster that they should have fought in, like, the third episode that they just finally got around to, you know? Yeah. <laughs> like, everything else is ratcheted up around them. Then you turn around, and there's, like, this weird dude who barely even wants to be there, who just wants to sneak away from the fight to gamble some more, and it's great. Yeah. Like, he doesn't even, just doesn't, I just want to play Pachinko. Please leave me alone. So, Matt, uh, that's your high point. What is your low point, Matt? Honestly, my low point isn't even that much of a low point. It's uh, that clairvoyant eye. I just want to know more about it. Oh, yeah, that's a good... It I want to know where one is, like, you know, getting bizarre Goma artifacts from. Is that from hell? Is it from Goma the 15th? Did he always have it? Um, and if not, like, where can I get myself a weird uh, eyeball telescope that can see anything in the world? I I don't know. <laughs> um, it's like a stole right, Handel's eyes or something. Anyway. Oh, dude, I don't know. It's going to be something weird. Honestly, what it's probably going to be is never referenced again. Oh, yeah. That's actually... That makes a lot of sense. And so, with that, that is going to do it for another episode of Live and Let Die Ranger. Before we finish up here, I would like to remind you all that you can email the show at supersentibrothers at gmail.com. If you want to get any updates on future episodes or connect with us on Twitter, we're at supersentibros. If you like the show, please remember, shining in the iTunes review section, there are five stars. Rate, review, subscribe on iTunes. That's what's going to help the most people find the show. The Super Sentai Brothers are a production of Retrograde Orbit Radio. Once again, we are the Super Sentai Brothers. I'm Matt. I'm Dave. And we'll see you next week. Die.